0: Welcome to a Kapha for the soul I'm Sue and I'm Trish and we're so delighted that you're joining us
1: today Sue and I explore the embodiment of presence and how we can know when we're present or not present with our body the breath is a key we look at pain and avoiding pain or approaching pain and what the science says and access to the amazing inner place, many ways in. We look at the science of practice and how with practice we build new neural pathways. We invite you to try this out for yourself for the next three weeks, and we hope that you'll enjoy a cup for the soul.
0: So we're gonna start today with a little poem or excerpt from John Kabat-Zinn. It is called, Tasting Mindfulness. So if you'd like to close your eyes, if it's safe to do so, and just receive these words. Have you ever had the experience of stopping so completely, of being in your body so completely, of being in your life so completely, that you knew and what you didn't know, that what had been and what was yet to come, and the way things are right now, no longer held even the slightest hint of anxiety or discord. It would be a moment of complete presence, beyond striving, beyond mere acceptance, beyond the desire to escape or fix anything or plunge ahead. A moment of pure seeing, pure feeling. A moment in which life simply is. And that isness grabs you by all of your senses, all of your memories, by all of your very genes, by your loves and welcomes you home. <sighs> and welcomes you home.
1: Isn't that the
0: delicious invitation to come
1: into presence? And Maybe that's why the word mindfulness is spreading around the world the way it is and why people's curiosity is being piqued. Because I think we all want to taste and experience that. We recognize it. We know it when we're in it. Um, it's not new. Nobody has copyright on it. It's our birthright. And yet we can go through so many parts of our life, so many parts of our day, not in that space. And this is, this is the joy of being able to offer our little, little nuggets of life and wisdom of how we have come into this experience, how we've embodied the embodiment of presence.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's that bit, isn't it? It Again and again comes up the power that simply being in the present moment can bring where we step out of this mind that is constantly racing, judging, pulling us either into the future or the past, but the power of simply coming out of the head and into the body and really embodying that sense of presence and awareness really opens up your capacity to taste just simply taste more of what is happening in this present moment. So often I know myself so often I have missed things because I've been I can't wait till the next thing or I'm in a rush or in a hurry to something else and I miss that present moment that delicious present moment of seeing the the sun come through the clouds or the smile on the girl's face, something so simple, and yet so beautiful and wonderful. And yet the more we practice attending to the present moment, the more present moments attend to us, more present moments open up, and then we become awake a little bit, isn't it? A little bit more awake to what is actually happening in our bodies and in our lives. As opposed to the stories that we tell ourselves about how we're right or how we're wrong or judging ourselves or judging other people, we just come awake to what is real in this moment, not the story.
1: I think what's lovely is having a cue to know when you're present and when you're not present. Ooh. You know, the body doesn't lie and the body doesn't go into the future. The stomach can get very anxious when we're not present. It can get very anxious when we're jumping ahead because it can't be there. Or it can get very weighed down and burdened when we're mired under the past. It's where the lovely compassion practice comes in because we can forgive ourselves for what we didn't do in the past and we can make peace with ourselves for jumping ahead in the future when we recognize the physiological cues that alert us to not being present. I have a very vivid image of being on a beach in Donegal a few years ago. And there was a little boy who I've never seen before since who was on the beach digging in the sand. And he was maybe about five. So not a toddler, but not a big boy. And I remember looking at his body at the form of this child playing on the beach, wondering where in his body is this energy? Where is his life energy? And as I, watch from the from the shoreline, I realized he embodied, he, he was all over his body. He was full. He was everywhere. He wasn't like, you know, you can look at an adult walking along the beach and they're being led by their head jutting inches forward or somebody who slumped in their body. And it's not to judge it. It's just to understand that the energy will gather where we're most focused. So if we're really overthinking something, we'll be very full on in our brain or if we're hugely charged in the emotional centers will the lower down in our body. And yet when we get into movement, whether that's walking or running or swimming or yoga, we stretch out into our whole body. We pull the energy more into harmony, more coherent as opposed to more staccato and stuck in different places. And so the image of that little child being so alive in his body has stayed with me even though I haven't seen him since. And I guess it's that we all recognize that, you know, children are so in the present moment. And the invitation in mindfulness is to come back into the present moment without judgment. So if we catch ourselves having zipped off somewhere, it's noticing that and simply coming back into the embodiment of whatever's been experienced right now. And the breath is like a key. It mightn't be breath if somebody's very very anxious and troubled maybe tuning into sound in that moment just listening to the sound that's around whether it's pleasant or unpleasant sound not to judge it but focusing awareness on a dimension of being present can pull us back into the here and now really quickly in an instant in as much as it takes to take a breath or to tune into sound or to feel our feet yeah. it's
0: the
1: magic and the power
0: of this mindful practice it comes back to in some ways it's very simple isn't it it's very simple to bring your attention to the breath because we've been breathing since the day we were born it's very simple to notice sound and it's very simple to notice your feet on the floor but sometimes we we either attach judgment to the sound or we attach something to the breath maybe it's too shallow or it's it's not the way maybe we want it to be. So some level of judgment or the simplicity gets forgotten so quickly and we move on to the next thing. And we might recognize the breath for a moment and then we're gone. So it's, it's like going to the gym. The more you practice your attending to the breath, your attention on the breath, the more then, as that being the anchor, the more you do it, it's like building the muscles. So then you become stronger at holding the attention on one point of focus because research shows we actually have managed in some miraculous way to be able to decrease our capacity for attention and focus probably largely because of you know smartphones and just instant everything being on around us and so much bombarding our awareness that we can flip from one thing to the other it's a little bit like having way too many tabs open on your your laptop and then it uses mm-hmm. some of the cpu usage um, the central of- processing of your your laptop or your computer and similarly if we have too many tabs open and we're switching from one thing to the other then it becomes quite exhausting doesn't it we're moving from here to there and in that jumping from one tab to the next we we're no longer attending to what is here what is now and we're, we're getting exhausted by it
1: and it can sometimes be we don't want to attend to what's here and now because it's really not pleasant it may be that the body's very ill or we've got a life-limiting disease that's chronic, like something that's self-limiting mobility, or we're in pain, physical or emotional pain. And it's very hard to stay with that because it can be very, very uncomfortable. And we've got an ancient mechanism that's wired to take us out of that in an, in a, an idea to cope better. Because pain, whether it's physical or emotional, is also very draining and exhausting. But the science comes back again to support this practice of being present. Because when you are more present to the pain that's in the body, we may be, make more wise choices around what we do. Whether that's to rest, if it's actually that we need to stop and take a break and not push ourselves further. Or whether it's by noticing that the body's in pain, we can develop new pathways in the brain. Where we focus on the parts of the body that aren't in pain, so we don't keep focusing more attention on what's wrong, but we learn ways of focusing on spaces that are waiting to expand. I remember when I did my degree in psychology in the 80s, my psychobiology lecturer really instilled in us a consciousness that the brain was a fixed entity and the various different activities that took part in the various different parts of the brain. And if those parts of the brain became injured, that was it, they were gone. Whereas now we know in the 2020s that the brain is plastic, which I always find is a funny term because I think of plastic like a plastic bag. But it's really more meaning malleable like plasticine, like Play-Doh, like the things we play with with children. And so I find massive hope and joy in the experience of developing new neural pathways in my own brain, where things that might have hugely triggered me, I might not jump into reacting so quickly. And so for anybody who may be hearing this, who doesn't want to stay present in this present moment because it is too painful for whatever reason, we know that noticing what's here and listening to what the body may be saying about what's here offers a whole range of new possibilities rather than just shutting it all out because it might hurt too much. And so daring to come towards the body and dropping in gently and tenderly offers a new way of being. I remember a gorgeous participant in one of my groups who had a lot of back pain. She was really uncomfortable in her body and suffered physically with this pain and you know, had been through a lot of medical people to try and get a handle on the pain. And she didn't want to do the body scan, which is one of the very early practices of coming into the body, because the body was an uncomfortable place to be. And so I was like, oh my God, do I really have to do this for weeks? And so she gently came towards it and came towards it and dropped in more with the body scan into what was in her body. And I can still see the wonderment on her face, when she discovered there were places in her body that weren't in pain. And so when she became more familiar with dropping into her body, as opposed to cutting away from her body, she found great warmth around her heart, which she didn't know she had. Remember uh, after a full day of practice and silence, her coming in from an outside wooded area with such joy of feeling loved, just being on her own out in the woods during that day of silence. And this was incremental access growing inside her body as she landed more into the body rather than eliminating the body as a place to be in because of pain. I think this is the, this is true experience. This is what's offered to us when we drop into the body.
0: Yeah. I think that's really interesting that you share that story, Trish, because I would have a similar um, participant on a course recently where, Similarly, a lot of shoulder and neck pain and, you know, had gone through various treatments for it and kind of was almost a disbelief toward the end of the course. Like, uh, I'm noticing I haven't had much of this, you know, pain in my neck, whereas normally it would be there. And this kind of almost huge sense of surprise that, God, this thing, this simple thing of coming into my body has actually... Made this other thing that I've been throwing a lot of money at trying to get to change and shifting the focus, not from a place of wanting this practice to make the change in my body, but actually bringing that sense of curiosity, meant that then throughout the day she was more aware, probably of how she was holding herself as well, you know, and to be able to take those moments to soften into, oh, there's a tightness there. So I think what's really interesting with the practice and bringing the, the awareness into the body means that instead, where there's an, some discomfort, instead of kind of pushing it away and going, Oh God, I don't want to go there, you're invited to gently approach it and see what does approaching it in this kind of childlike curiosity, that gentle investigation, what does that do? Because often, and I would have had people on another lady on a course a few years ago where she had fibromyalgia and this idea of the pain. And then the judgment of the pain, you know, and actually when she stopped judging the pain and could just be with the pain itself, it seemed to ease somewhat. So instead of the, I don't want this, this is, because that takes up a huge amount of energy, doesn't it? This energy resisting. Resistance. Yeah. It's a huge amount of energy. So what we know is that actually when we do attend to what is really happening, not the not the what's happening with the judgment or the resistance or that I don't want this, but the actual what's happening, something softens. And this is the bit about the neuroplasticity. Our brain is so open to changing that it does give us a great sense of hope and potential. The more we spend time in awareness, the more our brain changes. It's a little bit like, and I may have used this analogy before. And if I have Um, it's like having a a cornfield out in front of us and all of my life I've been running down to a tree down at one end straight ahead in front of me and I'm following this pathway all my life and then it's well worn isn't it it's got Mm -hmm. a really strong threaded pathway through this cornfield but if I start to change my route and take a different take a different pathway then the first time I do that there's only it's only lightly moved the corn so If I never go down there again it grows back up and the corn becomes strong and we'd never really know that I'd been down that other way but if I keep taking that alternative pathway slowly over time I wear it so that it becomes a little bit more like a super highway like the first one and it doesn't mean that I'll always take this option sometimes when I'm stressed I may not Um, did I use this analogy before no you didn't but it also means that that possibility is there Whereas without
1: this space, without that new pathway being worn or opened, opened really, you don't have the choice. You go down the automatic one.
0: Automatically go down the superhighway. And this is our reactivity. This is how we react to things that we don't want in our lives. Where We react to our pain and our suffering to push it away as opposed to seeing what would emerge if I stop wanting my life to be some other way. And when I start to bring this awareness pathway more to the forefront in my life, then I have another option. Ah, and this is where the capacity to choose. So we we start to, to have more potential around our very real humanness that brings with us pain and suffering. You know, death and taxes, as they say, two certainties in life. I think, though, it also touches into the vastness of
1: what's possible because we often narrow ourselves and think this is the way it has to be. Mm. We don't believe that something else is possible because this is what's familiar and known. And maybe even we give up hope because something might have gone on for quite some time. And so we don't even want to hold the hope in case we get re-disappointed again. We don't want to experience that. And as you talk about distancing from the pain... Um, something that I find so heartwarming is when people have gone towards the pain they discover it's not the big block or the big fixed entity that they thought it was because they you know, it's not just that we we resist the pain, I think we actually move out of our bodies, we distance from our own body
0: mm. so we
1: distance from so many other sensations and experiences and Certainly, even for me, when I have a, a, a twinge or an ache in my body, it can be to move my posture in a little way, and that might be different. Or somebody I'm thinking of who had a lot of pain in their body, they discovered that it wasn't constant, which they had thought it was, it wasn't all day, every day. Then they began noticing things that maybe helped it to feel differently. But like that, as they went towards the edges of the pain, the sensations changed. Mm-hmm. So that curiosity to explore, to go into the cornfield and wonder, I wonder what will I see in this field today? What will it look like? What direction will the flower heads be facing? How warm or cool is it in here today? How sharp or edgy is it here today? And that curious exploration offers a massive amount of new experience being possible. More spaciousness again, there's a possibility. Are knowing I need to take more care and do something different to how I'm doing might be what the body tells us if we listen.
0: And it is that piece of recognizing the body is trying to send you a message. It's doing its best job in some way that you may not like to wake you up to to feeling what's happening in your life and to becoming more attending or maybe more responsive to what, what you need as a, as a human being which may be compassion and kindness and it also may be that you need to go to the doctor and get some something for that pain or ache but there's a, a beauty in not always going not always relying on the pharmaceuticals to fix all of our problems and it, they absolutely have a part to play but sometimes we, I suppose, as a society, we've deferred a lot towards that, that every ache and pain needs a a pill to fix it. So there's actually so much more that we can do within our own bodies and through our own practice and by building up our own cognitive muscle and our own pathways in our brain that actually give us so much more power. And I think as as a group, species we've become quite disempowered in some way because we we hand the responsibility for our wellness over to our gp or to our doctor or hospital and we don't always look at where can i support myself in this are there things that i've maybe been doing habits that i've formed that don't necessarily help me and are, is there a way to to kind of shift out of that um and by Bringing, I suppose, to mind some of those questions in a very gentle way. It isn't about saying that there's anything wrong there. It's about kind of opening up to the potential of of a different way. Is there something there, yeah. some kind of curiosity that you can bring that may present a different answer? And I like to think of it as a a wise heart. So, is there a wise, compassionate? response that you can bring to whatever your experience is because I think what I love about mindfulness and what I love about coaching is at the center of it the belief is that you have the answers within yourself I don't have them for you and you don't have them for whoever else i mean you as Trish, you don't have them for me sometimes you might but um and this but sometimes it might be that i help you to hear your own answer this is it where you actually having the conversation with another person by doing the practice and then sharing what comes up brings another shines another level of light on it doesn't it where mm. there's a deeper sense of awareness ah that's what's underneath that and what's coming up but also, that's why community matters Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Ultimately, the light is within us to find and the answers are within ourselves.
1: Which is in every great tradition on the planet. Mm. Every wisdom tradition points to finding the light within. And how you've beautifully put that piece about the practice and, and coaching is there are times we need somebody to shine the light towards going inwards because we might know the way. We might know the way and it's not that somebody else knows our route, but they might know the entrance way or the possibility of many entrance ways. And what's really with me as I'm hearing what you're saying is um, the beauty of the many different ways to practice. So I'm thinking again of varying different participants in the courses. For me, I love a sitting practice. It's It's where I find I really come in. And I know I've had some participants who it might be the yoga or the walking is where they begin to find their way in because it's not to judge anyone being more important. There are times if the mind is very, very busy sitting down with a busy mind. It can be like just this endless roller of sound and vision going on in the head. Whereas it may be the process of the body being moved through yoga practice or walking that using the energy in that way allows access to the inner place and so some there are times for me it will be movement rather than sitting mm. um i don't know if that's so for you that you know just even taking up a different movement a different posture can be enough to stop me from the busyness and landing into the moment of being present. Are walking the dogs up a nearby lane and hearing the birds might be what pull me out of my busy head and into really being fully in the moment. And like that for somebody coming newly to this, they may watch people sitting and thinking, well, I actually couldn't do this, but it may be for them to explore dropping into the body through movement, whether it's indoor practice or outdoor walking might be a gorgeous way to encounter
0: the present moment. And as you, you say that, something comes up for me. I know when I started practicing yoga when I was in my early 20s and being quite a competitive person, I noticed I was looking at what somebody else was doing in their practice. And geez, she can do a downward dog a lot better than I can and there was more judgment in the mm. so, I so in competition practice. even with somebody else in the room oh yeah and, and particularly in, in yoga oh she can move her foot back there above her head but well, I want to do that so for me I noticed in those early days and before I really got into meditation there was a lot of striving to be better to be good enough um, and comparing myself to other people um, and then obviously the more I practiced and brought in meditation I really realized the the value in the non-striving. So I think if somebody's listening to this for the first time, to really observe that sometimes we can get caught into this judging mind or this striving to fix ourselves or this striving to be good enough or better than. And um, to, the practice, particularly in yoga, is to, to move the body with awareness and to really deliciously bring yourself into that present moment. And I know for a lot of my participants where they maybe found the body scan difficult because hell, I can't feel anything in my toes. Like, or, you know, they're like, I can't feel anything in the back of my leg or my ankle. There's no sensation there. And when they do the movement practice, there was a real sense of, ah, oh, I can feel my body now. <laughs> there's, there's like sensation in these parts of the body that, you know, largely until we really attend to them, are, we're slightly cut off from. Until we really get, learn to get out of our heads and into our bodies, trying to figure out, is that my big toe or my little toe? Or my, can I even sense the little toes in between? Is completely, it's like a, a landmark event for, for people when they come to this practice, sometimes for the first time. It's like, oh my God, I have to now sense something in my toes. and Unless there's a sock hitting the skin, I really can't feel anything.
1: I think this isn't just for the first time. I think it's really important what you're saying. And I really welcome it because I think that striving mind is. Well, I take great comfort from the fact that the Buddha wrote about this two and a half thousand years ago. So even though we have evolved as a race into our digital age, he spoke about the striving mind back then. So I think it's part of our our wanting to better ourselves. So there's a really good side to it. We want to be better. But it's how to not get crippled by that push, 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 push to be something other than what we are. And I think it's gorgeous to to acknowledge the part that judges and strives and competes and to notice it and to even acknowledge that it's there. I love Thich way of addressing this aspect of our being where he says, ah, there you are, my friend. Come in, have a cup of tea with me. There you are, my friend. So it may be that that angry, feisty wagon is making her presence felt. Like ah, there you are, my friend. Come in. Are that very self demeaning, belittle, judging person is there. It's like recognizing that too and say, ah, there you are, my friend. Come and have a cup of tea with me. Are the part that's striving, wanting to be able to get your ankle around your neck because somebody else, in some other part of the planet can, and your ankle doesn't want to go above your knee. Ah there you are, my friend, come in that striving woman, our man, welcome, come and have a cup of tea with me. And it's that inclusivity. I know whenever I try to push something away, it comes back and bites me in the bum. But when I can welcome that aspect of myself, or have enough wisdom to acknowledge an aspect of somebody else that I am reacting to, it softens. It softens. I can't, like I keep saying, I can't do it to make it soften. Mm. But there's such an integrity in this.
0: There's such an integrity of,
1: and humility.
0: Isn't it interesting though, that piece of giving up the desire that it will fix or go away or soften. That I, I, I'll do the practice so it'll I'll be better. But, but yet when you just do the practice to be in the practice, and to be curious and open, something shifts and then something changes. But there's that need to just meet it and allow it to unfold in whatever way. It's about actually trusting that what is going to unfold for you will uh, in, when the time is right. You can't make it quicker. No, yeah. But you can certainly, what's that they say? And I would say this when I train athletes, sometimes you you can't uh, force yourself into flow. You can't jump into flow. But the more you practice mindfulness and the more you practice meditation, the likelihood is that you'll fall into flow a lot quicker, a lot easier. So because you'll be aware and be able to bring yourself to that that place of awareness, noticing the body when you're running um, or engaging in whatever your sport is, then the likelihood is with that awareness, you go into flow. So practice will get you there, but you, you can't kind of force it.
1: It's a bit like even the, the, when they've done brain scans on new meditators and the seasoned meditators and they pick up all the different readout from the brain and the seasoned meditators go into that meditative space more quickly. Is that better or worse? It's just what happens. But we know that it's a healing space for the body. And the actually, different uh, wavelengths that flow enable the body to re, re- regenerate.
0: And the more we practice, so the, the gyrification in the brain, actually this folds get, get thicker. So the gray matter parts get thicker and it actually means that we process information much faster. So this, the more we practice, then it's like, it's almost like if you imagine putting a child on a water slide in their <laughs> swimsuit, but there's no water on it. As they go down the slide, their little bottom is going to stick to it and it's going to be a little bit jumpy and it's a bit like how we start meditation first we're a little bit jumpy Uh, but then as we practice more it's like somebody turns on the water tap and there's a bit more water so the child goes down the slide water slide faster and then the more water you put on the water slide the faster you go so it's a bit like the myelination in the brain gets thicker the more we practice and we know there's ten thousand hours of practice daniel coyle talks about 10,000 hours of purposeful practice myelinates the brain to the extent that it's like a super highway as information passes through. So if you want to learn the piano and you want to become really adept at that, 10,000 hours. If you want to practice meditation and get to the level of some of the gurus, you know, you're talking 10,000 hours. Now for you or me, we're probably not going to get to 10,000 hours in, you know, a couple of years, but the more we practice, the more myelin goes on our nervous system and the faster that information gets processed. And so our capacity to come into the present moment becomes that much more adept over time.
1: So maybe to clarify that a little bit for people, it's not about getting you 10,000 hours to be super better, super quick, super fast. It's more about understanding that, just like your analogy of going through the cornfield, the more you do whatever form of practice, of meditation, the more that little pathway is going to get worn in the cornfield. Mm. So, the more you have access to a different route from just that normal, immediate reactivity. And the roots that they've studied in the brain come to the frontal lobe. So, the areas of our mind, brain that communicate compassion, understanding, access to that other part of our being that engages more with other people with more compassion. We grow and strengthen the access to that, both for others and for ourselves. With more access to that for ourselves. There's a little bit of me kind of wither at the thought of, oh my God, do I have to sit for 10,000 hours before I will find any of this happening? And that's not so. We know that little by little, day by day, we begin to experience the, the, the changes in this. One of the ways I noticed it for myself was I actually could feel muscles around my mouth and jaw and cheeks softening. And I remember people saying, God, you look really different. And I hadn't, I don't wear makeup, so it wasn't like I would put on a different brand on my skin. But I could feel that softening. And I think when we sit and practice or do whatever way or form we do, uh, do it, we, we little by little can feel these changes in our own body and in our own being. Mm. And so I want to just offer huge encouragement to whoever feels drawn to dropping into their selves, whoever feels drawn right now to dropping into this amazing inward space of possibility, turn up, take a chance Explore it for yourself. Whether you're going to sit on your couch, lie on your bed, get on a cushion on the floor, whether you're going to walk enough pace that you can contact yourself. Please turn up and do it for three weeks every single day and just watch what happens. Just watch what happens for yourself. Take it from your own experience. Be curious. Make a commitment to try it out like any new habit. Three weeks is a really good baseline time to start. It's not like 10,000 hours. It's just take this one patch of time in your life every day for three weeks, turn up and watch what
0: happens. Brilliant. And we know from people doing something as as what may not feel very short, but an eight week course in mindfulness based stress reduction, there are measurable changes in the brain. So, not to deter people with the 10,000 hours, but the actual practice of doing a little bit every day changes the brain and and people talk about it improving their well-being their mental health as a result of being part of the the course so that or or any way that you want to turn up is a really great way to to start the practice
1: so if we were to end today and each claim or say something that's made a difference something you notice that's different in your life from doing the practice, what would it be for you, Sue? What's what's one of your experiences or sensations that you've experienced through the practice that's adding to the quality of your life?
0: So for me right now, um, it would be really being present with the girls. Like, so they're 21 months old and just really being able to not their little lives away like to the, to the next thing I can't wait till they're out in nappies I can't wait till they're doing the next thing or the next thing it's just really being there with them and engaging on a day-to-day hour by hour minute by minute with what is happening for them so it's it's playing it's having a, a tantrum a meltdown and it's just being there and all of that without judging any of it uh, so I think for me I'm so glad I have the practice because I think i would get caught in i think i would get caught in trying to achieve lots of things uh, and miss out on these wonderful precious moments so people talk about god they grow up so quick i'm not entirely so sure they're growing up so as quick as people talk about because i'm i really feel like i'm there a good lot of the time with them i try to not be in my head so much uh, so that i can really be there with them so that's gorgeous amazing. Gorgeous. And that's why you still don't get a full night's sleep. So how delicious is that? And that's using the time when I'm not asleep to kind of be aware and be in my body and not get caught in. God, I wish they'd sleep now. You know, obviously I would love if they would sleep and they were great sleepers because I love my sleep, but I'm kind of using that time to just be in my body and let go of any judgment that it should be some other way because it's so easy to compare myself to other parents whose children sleep the night so easy to compare myself to other multiple mums and parents who have you know two and three children and how their children behave but actually to not compare myself and not compare them they're not bad children because they don't sleep it's just what they need right now and i think yeah i think it's yeah it's really helpful to not fall into judging or overanalyzing or getting caught into sleep training or whatever it is. Um and that's just my choice, I suppose, to to be there and try to be responsive to, to what they need. Um, yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. And for you, Trish, what would you say?
1: I know I touched on it um, earlier on. I was somebody who, friends who would have known me when I was much younger would have said I was always late for everything. I was always late. And it took me many years to recognise that the late was because I was always trying to squeeze something else in. And I think as that continued with my children and with after school things, for you know, they loved their music. I wasn't ever forced to, you had to go here or go there, but I would see how I would like to do the grocery list in a really short window where I'd be trying to whiz through this supermarket and get what I needed and quickly do another thing quickly 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 I think quickly would always be a word and maybe that was because as a little one I can remember one of the little lines for me was could you hurry up I was obviously a slow coach as a child maybe that was my natural rhythm I was I was known as legity last at the table because I'd be the slowest eater and so I suppose that got inculcated to faster faster quicker quicker was better And for sure, as I became more aware of what felt uncomfortable for me, it was taking things out of my day. I really, really mean that. So I might have decided that a certain thing needed to be done today, life would turn up with something else. And I would then say, well, I can't actually get to that. That'll have to wait. And I don't beat myself up for not getting that thing done or achieved or whatever. Or it may be, which I have done many times, I may go to the supermarket, not be able to try and complete the shop, leave a full trolley down a shopping aisle, go back to wherever my child has their lesson, collect them, and then go and pay through the checkout. Couldn't obviously do that now with the with the virus as it's happening, but that was recognizing that sometimes less really is more. And then finding that more of me is there. Because I was fairly frazzled and frayed around the edges trying to you know, do everything, everything, everything. And flitting, you mentioned that thing of flitting. So not finishing anything out. Some would say I still don't get things finished out. I'm looking out at the hedge at the moment where I pulled an awful lot of dead grass that needed to be taken out and it hasn't all been gathered up because there's more steps in the process. But just, yeah, so I would say it has been, softening towards myself by not trying to push myself as hard to achieve as much Mm -hmm. and then not judging myself a bit like you are talking about with the girls, not judging myself because I'm not Mm -hmm. where I might think somebody
0: else is or where I might have envisaged myself to be able to be. Yeah. Beautiful. And there's something there and it relates back to the the first story you, you started out with the little boy. And how he was so embodying mindfulness and how you said, as a child, I was maybe really slow at the table. And don't we do that with children? And I'm saying myself sometimes as well. We hurry them up, you know, as they eat their food. Have you ever watched a child eat? And it's the most wonderfully slow, (laughs) magical and frustrating thing when you're trying to get out the door to go somewhere. Um, And we, we put... We start to put as parents, you know, parameters on their how they are to fit them in, to squeeze them into how our society runs, to get to play, play school or school or whatever it is. Um, so we start to hurry them up, no more than what you said. You were inculcated to moving quicker. So I suppose that's just something I would love to raise people's awareness to today. If you're listening, how are you with your kids? Are you? trying to rush them out the door or or with yourself how are you with that child version of yourself Mm. Um, horsing down your breakfast as you're putting your coat on and drinking your coffee in your car or you know well maybe not right now for a lot of people but just yeah to observe how, how you are and some of those habits around moving into your day And so I would love
1: to suggest taking this faster, faster, quicker, quicker, slow, slow, slow idea that rather than doing a guided practice at the end of today's podcast, I'm going to throw out an invitation for people to mindfully eat or drink a cup of tea or part of their meal to take on this invitation to really attend with all of the senses to something you're going to eat or drink every day this week and just notice what that experience is. And leave it there for
0: people to explore and be curious with. Super. Thanks a million, Trish. It's been so wonderful to talk to you, as always. And you, Sue. Gorgeous
1: exploration of being humans on our planet today.
0: Yeah. Until next time. Blessings. We so hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Sue Redmond, you can catch me on sueredmond.com or email me at info at I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PhD.
1: And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me on mindfulnesstrish at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.